Good morning, everybody. Last week, we started a series of four messages looking at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of John, starting with John the Baptist's ministry and calling uh, forth Jesus in the story. And so last week, what we talked about was, was having a growth mindset, not just thinking about how things are and say, I am a musician or I'm not a musician, uh, I am a teacher or I'm not a teacher, but to move beyond those labels and to see that you can become something and that God might do a work in you that might transform you, might grow you in new ways. And so in that same kind of vein today, uh, like with any text, we could discuss a whole number of theological angles. We could do all sorts of theological nuggets from the text, uh, but today our focus is on ministry and what it has to say to ministry as we start this new ministry together. And so today I wanted to pose a question or a tension that I think maybe you have felt and that I have felt, and that's that at some point, whatever kind of ministry that you do, however you serve people, however you support this church, at some point you probably have felt like you're alone in that process. Like if you didn't show up, if you got sick, maybe it wouldn't happen. Maybe it'd all fall apart where you felt like you're the last one standing on this and you're trying to hold up the pieces. And that's an exhausting space to be in because you start to burn out. You start feeling like the life is kind of going out of your ministry and out of your life as you're trying to hold all these pieces up. And so uh, today, the text that we are reading from, I think suggests some things about leadership that invites others along, that doesn't kind of be the solo hero of your ministry, but is looking for others and looking to bring others into ministry. And so I think there's a word of hope and a word of encouragement in this text today. Uh, but before I want to get into that, I do want to point out that when I talk about that this text is about leadership and that's the angle that we're going to take on it today, that that means everyone here. Sometimes you think about leadership as just someone with a title, uh, but that's not always the case. That's even not most often the case. A leader is someone who has an influence on somebody. And we all have an influence on somebody. You know, my wife's, uh, she has been a kindergarten teacher and is now a second grade teacher. And if you've been a teacher, you would attest to the fact that uh, there are leaders in the room that are, are not always for good. Some are leading in some ways that are not helpful to the class. And so you can have a kindergartner who's a leader in a classroom. We can all be leaders. And so this text speaks to all of us. Sometimes the people in that room without the title have more influence than people with the title. And so this, this can be about everybody. You might be a leader in this church by just being a smiling, warm, inviting presence to people who come in these doors. So if someone's new and, and you come and you say hello and you get to know them and hear their story, you are an influence, you are a leader in this space. If you're someone that comes and unlocks the doors and locks the doors up afterwards, you are influencing this space by helping keep it safe and secure, but also making it welcoming and inviting and open as well. You might be a leader by taking care of kids in the nursery. You are both helping those little ones see the love of God and allowing those parents to be able to worship and to celebrate uh, with others at the same time. 
So we have a lot of ways that we are leaders and influence each other. And so this text, I think, speaks to all of us. And so what I want to do is I want to offer five principles that I see at work in this text that, that John is, is conveying, is modeling for us. And the first principle is that we can't assume who God will or will not use. In the text twice, John talks about the fact, I myself did not know him when he talks about Jesus. He's going into his ministry, he's going into his everyday life, and he doesn't know who God is about to raise up. He's got open eyes, he's looking for it, but he doesn't already know who that's going to be. There's a TV show that I think probably most of you have heard of, Undercover Boss. That TV show is about CEOs going undercover in their businesses um, to see what it is like at the ground level and work alongside the lower level employees. And it actually works on a premise that if you make the CEO look less put together, suddenly no one would expect them to be a CEO. They never make the CEO look better. They never give them a makeover that makes them look even better. Uh, They're always adding some weight to them. They're always uh, giving them bizarre facial hair for the guys. They're giving them clothes that are outdated. But all of that is, is the assumption that when you see somebody, you assume a lot about them. And so when you see these undercover bosses, you assume they're just an average everyday person. Um, and so it feeds into the way we think, and we assume things about people. And so if we have a ministry that we're wanting to build up in this church, what kind of assumptions do we have that we don't always notice? If you're thinking about a ministry, whether it's our personal care ministry or any sort of, of things that we've, we've been um, kind of starting more recently, are we only thinking about, I need a volunteer and they have to already be a member of this church? You're only thinking from our pool of people that are already here? Or do you think beyond that, outside these walls, to people that you meet in everyday life that might have gifts and skills that could go into that ministry? So are, are we limiting our vision to just those who are already here? Uh, we can also limit ourselves by seeing people as just people who need instead of people who can contribute. And so when I see everyone that kind of comes through our doors on Thursday nights for the personal care ministry, I see people who God is at work in in their lives, who have different kinds of gifts and skills, whether that's just being incredibly hospitable and welcoming, uh, being a fixer, a kind of repair person, all, all sorts of skills. What kind of assumptions do we have about the people that we meet and how they can help and how they can support our ministries? The second principle I want to talk about is that we have to be intentional about observing who God is working in. In the text today, John a few times emphasizes what he saw. The text says that he saw Jesus coming toward him. John saw, uh, John was given this message that said, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain is the one. So he's told you gotta be looking for something. And then at the end of the passage, he, he testifies, I myself have seen that this is the son of God. He's recognizing something in the person of Jesus that not everyone in that space would also say or see in Jesus. So he has his eyes open to what's going on around him. And I'm sure I'm not alone in having driven to work or wherever you might be driving to one day and realizing that you've been on autopilot and you're like, how did I get here? You've made several turns, you've ended up in this new space, 
and your brain has just gone on autopilot. And that happens in all spheres of our life, and that's often a helpful thing. Our brain is trying to help us categorize some things so it doesn't have to think about every single decision of every day. But sometimes that autopilot causes us to miss something that's right in front of us and to miss God at work in someone that we're dealing with. And that's, that's a problem for us. How often do you notice the gifts and the skills of somebody around you? I can't help but think back to uh, a time in Atlanta. I worked in human resources at Automobile Protection Corporation. It was this extended car warranty um, company. And I sat in the corner of this office building right next to the president, the CEO, the CFO, all of the kind of uh, high-level leaders of this organization. And one of the benefits of that is hearing their random everyday interactions. And on one occasion, at some point I tuned into the fact that the CEO was on the phone with somebody and he's clearly getting a sales call. Someone is trying to sell him on something. And you can tell by the way he's responding, how he's um, not necessarily super interested, but kind of maintaining a conversation. But then the conversation turns and he asks the guy, do you have a resume? You are a wonderful salesperson, and I can find opportunities for you, and I would love for you to be a part of this organization. So if you ever want to reach out, here's my email, my phone number, give me a call if you'd like to come over to our place. And that's how he got to that kind of position, is that kind of mindset of, I don't have to only think in that category or in that space that I'm in at that moment, but what are the gifts in this person, and how might I be a resource and, and make an opportunity for this person that's gifted. So how often in our daily life when we have a, a waiter or a waitress that's super welcoming, super, um, uh, super service, uh, great personality, what and whatnot, how often do we think, like, celebrate that to them, share that with them? Maybe we have an opportunity that they could greet people as they come to personal care ministry or uh, end of worship service that they could use those skills to be a part of something bigger than that. We need to have more I see in you conversations. You know what I see in you? You'd be a great teacher. You always explain things so wonderfully. I see that in you. God's doing that in you. You know, I see in you, you always are able to problem solve and you fix it and you got solutions. God's, God's, God's using that in you. And we need to be able to call that out and see that at work in people more often. The third principle that I see in this text from John is that we need to admit that others can do things as well or even better than us. And that's hard to admit. Uh, we, we get stuck on that the way that I do this is, of course, the best way to do this. And so even sometimes if we bring someone along into our ministry and, and we give them an opportunity to do something, afterwards you might notice that you say, well, I would have done fill in the blank. And what that suggests to the person is, you know the very best way to do this, and unless I do it this way, it's wrong. And so what that, that does is eventually that person thinks, it, well, if they know how to do this, why don't they just do it? They don't need me. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking this whole time of how would, how would this other person do it? Well, they should just do it. And so 
they'll, get, they'll kind of burn out, they'll end up disappearing. And so we have to be able to recognize that there are other ways to do things. Other people have skills and gifts, and we have to be able to release that and say that maybe they have something to offer that sees a better way. One of the, one of the great things that I learned in my time in Milwaukee, uh, I worked in the Office of Research and Innovation at Marquette, and we, we talked a lot about innovative design thinking. And the kind of nutshell of that is that you shouldn't problem solve for something without talking to the people that it impacts. That you first have to go and empathize and listen, and that maybe somebody else understands this problem better than you do on the outside. And so you, you're attuned to what are they saying is the problem, and then you prototype and you make possible solutions and you go back to them of, what do you see as the challenge of this? How would this help you? Uh, and what that does is it recognizes that you don't have all of the answers. Yes, you have skills and gifts that can benefit people, but they have insights that you need to listen to. And so when we, when we make ministries as a church, we need to make sure to invite our community members to give us input of, you know, I can assume what you need, but is that actually the case? Like, talk to me about what, what your struggles are, what your hopes are, and learn from them. And not, not to just think that uh, we, of course, know all of the best ways of doing things. And I think that, you know, the kind of old saying about the more you know, the more you know you don't know. Uh, the more you learn, the more you realize, I need to keep asking questions. I need to keep learning more. Uh, and so I think John models that humility of... he. He sees Jesus and he points out, here's someone who's greater than I, who ranks above me even though, uh, even though to everybody around him, John is the superstar ministry person. He's leading the giant revival, and yet here he is heaping praise on this person that's unknown in the crowd. And so our fourth principle is that we have to provide a platform for others. We have to elevate them. We have to give them a chance to do something meaningful we have to give them a chance to shine. And that means getting out of the way sometimes. That means sometimes stepping into the background to allow them to go forward. In the text it says, uh, that John says, I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And that's a great place of humility of seeing all of my service was just so that he might be lifted up just so that he would have this platform and be shining to Israel. Sometimes you might do all of the planning, all of the legwork for something, and someone else gets to go up front and leads in that moment, and everyone might think that they were the one that did everything for this. But that's okay. It's not all about us. We have to also open up the room, open up the space for others, and allow others to shine. And that's a ministry gift that we can give to them. I want to point out um, a lot said about millennials for good and for bad things. Uh, they usually get blamed for stuff going out of business. Uh, just tons of fun journal articles like on, on uh, millennials aren't buying X and so they're going out of business. Um, but one positive thing that I want to say about young people today and millennials is they really, really care about motivations and about what they do as something that's meaningful. 
And so if you want to bring along a young person today, we need to give them opportunities to do meaningful activities. I, I heard a pastor once say, if you say that I'm significant, give me something significant to do. So, uh, you know, I'd offer up, yes, walk alongside, reflect with people, train people, give them feedback, um, but allow people to have the opportunity to do something meaningful. If you want your ministry to grow in depth and in numbers, you either empower others or you end up alone. Because those truly great influencers, those great leaders, are going to look for opportunities to use their gifts. And if they're not being used here, they'll find somewhere else to use them. The last principle I see in John's message today was that we need to celebrate and support our team members. John speaks glowingly about Jesus throughout this message. He says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. He ends with saying, I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. He is celebrating the identity of Jesus throughout that text. He's celebrating him to the people that don't know him, to people that may criticize him, that, that don't accept Jesus. And that's a helpful word to us, that we can't just give an opportunity for someone to lead. We need to celebrate them. Because it's too easy. Last week we talked about you are your own worst critic, usually. And so you might see somebody's gift and see their skills and see something they're doing and think they're doing amazing, all the while they're thinking that they're failing and that they're terrible at it and thinking about giving up. And they need to hear you celebrate them. And so we can't celebrate enough. Can you celebrate directly to them, talk to them one-on-one? -on -one? Can you celebrate to their friends and family about what they're doing? That can be in person. In today's world, celebrating their friends and family might mean online, sharing posts, celebrating people, celebrating our, our leaders, our volunteers. That means also celebrating people to the church and to these ministries that we're a part of. Because it's, it's way too easy to have a culture of criticism because we can always do things better. But we want to foster a culture of celebration instead of criticism. And that's incredibly important and not easy. That's an everyday struggle to be one that celebrates and not just one who's critical. So I think there's two practical implications for the church that I want to mention real fast, and that is we need more opportunities for people to serve and to give influence here in our walls, but also outside of our walls. Industries and companies try to find out ways to maximize efficiency. And we don't need a robotic setup for personal care ministry in which someone comes in and a robot's all gather all of their supplies and hand them over to people. We need more human opportunities to lead and to make a difference to influence others. So we need to be looking for skilled individuals in our lives but we also need to be looking for opportunities for skilled individuals to be at work. Think about, it, it kind of sounds counterintuitive, but I've got one person who can do something, but I need to figure out how to make two people to be able to do something here, or three people. I need to find more ways that people could be a part of this. And that, that doesn't work in this kind of mindset that our culture usually operates under. 
We also need to start with thinking about finding successors, finding those people that can um, be trained into the opportunity to replace us. And that can sound scary, but an aspect about being replaced is you are hopefully growing. You have a new ministry, a new opportunity in front of you too. And for you to be able to step into that new thing, you need someone to be, be training up and being raised up behind you to fill that, that space too. And so hopefully we can be training successors, but hopefully we can be training teams of successors that we are not creating and training up supermen or Wonder Woman. We are training ministers who also empower others and lead by, by giving others opportunities instead of doing everything themselves. I want you to imagine back in your life to a time when someone spoke a word of encouragement about a gift they saw in your life. We've all had people along the way who have encouraged us by saying, you know, you're so wonderful at fill in the blank. For me, I, I think the very first time that someone told me that I was a teacher or recognized me as having those kinds of gifts was in seventh grade. I went to a small private school, and so um, a few of my classmates and I uh, had done well in math and were given this opportunity to take Algebra one uh, with some high schoolers. So we were seventh graders, and like, that's exciting and also daunting as you enter a room with you know, the freshmen and sophomores primarily, but you see people on the basketball team or the football team or cheerleaders or whoever it is. And this is you know, moving from elementary into this new space. And so I'm taking this class in algebra, and one of the star football players is in there, and apparently was having some challenges uh, with the math assignments that we were doing. And so the teacher met with him and asked him, I think that you would benefit from having a tutor. Who in this class would you like to tutor you? And here's this big high school football player, and for whatever reason, he wanted me to tutor him, the seventh grader, the, you know, the youngest person in the room. But yet there was something that he saw in me that made him want me to be his tutor. And yes, I helped him with math and, and we helped with figuring out uh, formulas and whatnot. But I think he gave me a better gift than I gave him. He was celebrating me and something that he saw in me. And that might even be better than the kind of math skills that I was able to impart to him. And so who can you help realize the skills and the talents that God is cultivating in them? Who can you be that voice of celebration, of an encouragement, of empowerment for? In, in closing, I, I have two things. One is about inside our walls. Uh, if you see, I've got my nice little name tag here. If you don't have a name tag, we have some spares where you can write your name in the back. But I, I wanted to offer a suggestion. I've got some pens and some little post-it notes here. And so after the service, if you want to take a little post-it note and write a skill, say teacher, greeter, fixer, uh, whatever kind of spirit that you see at work in somebody, and you want to write it and stick it to their name tag, and if they're still in the room, it could be even greater to go and say, hey, can I put this on your name tag? Can you put this on your own name tag? Because um, I see this in you, and I want to celebrate that. 
And so we can do that after the service and throughout the kind of um, fellowship time. But also if you come up during the week and you want to p place some, some stickers on the names uh, or come in early before service next week, let's gift that to others in this space, to others who aren't even here this morning. Can you write and see in something, see God at work in someone this morning? Um, so I'm going to put those, when I do my benediction, I'm going to carry out my little sticky, my post-it notes back in the back. Um, but I don't want that celebration to stop here, and I don't want us to think only in these walls. So my encouragement is today and throughout this week, at least find one person, whether it's through an interaction in that week, or it's giving a phone call or a message to somebody that means something to you, and just let them know that you see God at work in their lives and that you, they have a gift to offer and that you appreciate that. And I think that, that creating that kind of culture of celebration is really, really important. And I hope that that goes on from today beyond just today. Um, but I hope that we go out of here with fresh eyes looking for how God is doing something in those around us. And I hope that we don't just stop at that point seeing it vocalize that, share that, give that gift this week. Amen. If you will join.